So Christmas, it's fast approaching. How many days left till Christmas? Like 10, 10 days? Who here is ready for Christmas? Okay, we got kids that are ready for Christmas. What about like parents that are wrapping presents and buying presents? You know, in our household, we are mostly ready. I mean, Leslie's done. Uh, thank goodness for online shopping because I don't like to shop. And so she could just get on the computer and she could order stuff in. Uh, I think pretty much what we have left to do is to wrap the presents, which uh, I, I should have brought a present and shown you my wrapping style. It's really not that good. Um, but that's pretty much what we have left to do. And a lot of people are getting excited for the Christmas season. Some people have guests coming in. Some of you are making plans to leave. Uh, it's, it's going to be a great time. And I think, I think there's going to be a lot of great memories that are made this Christmas, just like every Christmas. I think it's one of the most popular holidays that people look forward to every year. As soon as it's done, I'm ready to look forward to the next year. But for, and for a lot of people, Christmas is where Jesus starts. And for a lot of people, Christmas is where Jesus ends. They, they get excited when the snow starts falling. falling they, the music starts playing. They start looking and saying, Oh boy, I know Christmas is coming. Yes, we're going to have the nativity, and Jesus is there, and it's all exciting. But once that time passes, it's almost as if when they're taking all the, the decorations off the Christmas tree, uh, Jesus gets wrapped up nicely in his little manger, stuck in a box, and then he's not really thought of, or he's not called upon until the next year. I mean, sure, throughout the year, we'll think about Jesus uh, a few times as we hear the Easter story, or if we hear a message on the radio, or or some kind of song that brings the thought of Jesus to mind. But a lot of times people just kind of take for granted that there's more to Jesus than that. We know he came to be our Savior. We get excited at Christmas, but the rest of the time we, uh, people like to kind of leave him alone. But Jesus didn't come just for Christmas. He didn't just come uh, to give us another time to spend with family, to have a good get-together, to sing these beautiful Christmas hymns, Jesus came to do so much more. And we're going to look a little bit at that in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 9 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And Jesus came, first of all, as a baby. He came at Christmas time as a baby, so that's where we're going to start. So I'm just going to start with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Probably you could call it 6a. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. That's where the Christmas story, uh, as far as we, we look at it at Christmas time, is kind of where it starts. We know uh, with Chloe's playing the piano, Mary, did you know that he was going to do all these things? We know um, God had a lot of these things foretold. You know that Jesus was around far before the Christmas story. But as you look at what we start to celebrate, we look and say, this is where it started with Jesus being born. So we're going to kind of use that as our jumping or starting point. And so I just want to read to you part of the Christmas story found in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be? Mary asked him. 
uh, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and, all, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's where the Christmas story starts. It starts with an angel telling Mary, You who are highly favored, you're going to carry the Son of God. Now, Jesus, he came to earth as a baby, but you know, Jesus really didn't have to do that. You know, God could have orchestrated all of history, all of prophecy to say that, you know what, Jesus was just going to show up as a 30-year-old man ready to do ministry. And he was going to do all the exact same things that he did, uh, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus actually went through the whole process. You know, if Jesus would have come as a 30-year-old man, in some ways it might have made his life easier because when he was trying to uh, to share with people in his hometown about who he was. The people rejected him. They said, isn't your Mary, mother's name Mary? Isn't your father's name Joseph? And because of that fact that they, they saw Jesus grow up, they said, there is no way that you're going to be the son of God. You're just like the rest of us. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to enjoy or I'm going to endure whatever it means to be a baby, whatever it means to grow up as a human. So from that un from the first time Mary found out she was pregnant and there's no feeling of anything, it's like I, I felt the same as I did yesterday, which maybe if you're a mother, you say, you know what, Josh, you don't know what you're talking about. I can tell the difference. I don't know. But I know at some point you don't know anything's there. And then you get to the point where uh, the baby starts kicking, starts having this fighting match inside of your womb, and you think, kid, knock it off. I know when, when Noah was born, it was the most amazing thing because he was kicking, and he was slowly rolling his whole body, and I could feel it. It was, I can't feel that from the inside. I can only, I'm only going to touch her body to feel that. You know, I'm not, anybody else, don't, I don't want to do that. Um, Caleb, on the other hand, I never felt him. He was just, he was super duper fast, moved all the time. Luckily, we tried to get me to feel him, and I couldn't because he was just so quick. So from the point of Jesus being not noticeable to finally kicking and, having, uh, and making sure his mom knew he was there, Jesus went through that. From being the baby in a manger that's completely helpless, that cannot move, to that little toddler on the run that mom and dad are constantly chasing down. From going through the stages of puberty to, to being uh, completely full-grown and fully mature, Jesus went through all of those different stages. Jesus experienced a typical human normal life. A lot of people, though, they say that manger, that's a, a fun Christmas time. Jesus is there, and they want to leave him there until next Christmas. But Jesus came to be more than just a baby in a manger. Jesus came to be a ruling king. And in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, uh, For to us a child is born, and to us a, given, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus will reign as king forever. The government will be placed on his shoulders. The government, meaning the rule, the dominion of, of all creation, is going to be under his control. There, there's going to be nobody else to share it with. It's only going to be him. Now, when Jesus first came to earth, uh, the people tried to fulfill this prophecy in a different way. When he first came, uh, when he fed the 5,000 people, 
All those people, they wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force. And Jesus had to slip away because that's not what was intended. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, when we think of Palm Sunday, there was large crowds of people gathering, expecting Jesus to overthrow the Roman government, place himself on the king, and start ruling from that point on. But that's not what, was, what God had in mind. Jesus even had a disciple named Judas who thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and start ruling from that point on. And once he realized Jesus was not going to do that, Judas betrayed Jesus and says, I want nothing to do with this. This, is, this guy is not doing what I expected him to do. But Jesus, but Jesus didn't come to do, set up an earthly kingdom, a temporary one, such as you might find in our government today. Our president, he gets four years. He gets eight if he gets elected, but there's a, a cutoff date. He's only getting eight years maximum. You think about the king or the queen of England. She's going to have that position until she passes away. Jesus didn't come to be a temporary earthly ruler. He came that he was going to have a kingdom that was going to last forever. This wasn't describing the time when Jesus first came to earth. His kingdom didn't start then. It's not even talking about the kingdom that Jesus has now up in heaven that he's ruling now. I mean, yes, Jesus is ruling. Uh, but when, when Isaiah was prophesying this, he was looking forward to a time on earth when Jesus was going to set up his kingdom and that there was going to be this government and this peace that was going to last forever. Um, in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25, I don't know if you've ever thought about uh, too much about the, the rapture and when Jesus comes back to rule uh, on the earth for a thousand years, but it's going to be heaven and earth on earth. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be peaceful. And it, uh, so I just want to read a couple of verses for you so you know this is what it is going to be like. Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. It says, Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be renewed, remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice in what I create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sounds of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. So be they're going to be out in the country. Is a Sunday school topic? Um, sorry about that. Uh, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as in the days of a tree, so will be the the days of my people, my chosen ones, who will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed for misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants be with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy. All of my holy mountains, says the Lord. So when the time comes, when Jesus, uh, when the time of the tribulation comes, Jesus takes us home uh, for seven years. He's going to, after that, when he's going to come down and rule on this earth for a thousand years, that's what it's going to be like. And when, that's what he's referring to, is Jesus, when he rules for, from that point on, it's going to be heaven on earth. It is going to be perfect. And he describes a little bit of what this kingdom is going to be like. So the first thing is that his government, on his government, he's going to have a peaceful throne. It says, of the increase 
of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus will rule with unlimited peace. It doesn't matter at any time in history from that point on. It doesn't matter any place. There's going to be peace that God is going to bring to this earth. That he, There's going to be no stress. There's going to be no worry because he is in control. The government is going to be a prophecy fulfilled. David is going to rule. I mean, I'm sorry. Jesus is going to rule on David's throne. Uh, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David that he would always have a descendant to sit on the throne. And that ultimately is going to be Jesus who's going to rule and reign forever. We read in Luke chapter 1 verses 32 to 33 how the angel told Mary that this is the way that it is going to be. That he's going to rule on the David's throne forever and ever. So it's going to be a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. It's going to have a powerful leadership it's over his kingdom. Uh, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be, it's going to have God's, his complete leadership, his administration will be second to none. No one's going to look back and say, boy, I remember the good old days when so-and-so was ruling. They're going to look and say, thank goodness we finally have a leader that we can trust, that we can follow, that we can put our complete confidence and trust in. No one's going to try to impeach him. No one's going to try to get rid of him or take him out in any sort of way because everybody's going to be happy with the government that he's going to set up. He, it's going to have permanent direction. From that point on and forever, it is never going to change. No one is ever going to take his place. And it is going to be passionately established. It says the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. Zeal is a word that's used like of jealousy, of like envy. Jesus is jealous. He's envious for his people. He's going to make sure this is going to take place. He's not going to let anything get in his way. No one's going to ever change his, his government. No one's ever going to change his leadership. He, he, because he's passionately, he's determined, he's going to set up his kingdom. And it, the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. And as he rules this wonderful, amazing kingdom, how is he going to do it? What are the, some of the character qualities he's going to show? Well, we have some listed here. The first one says he's going to be the wonderful counselor. Wonderful, marvelous, extraordinary, kind of like incomprehensible. It's going to be too, it's going to blow our mind. It's going to, he's going to have such leadership, uh, such counsel that we are not going to be able to fathom how does he know all this? How, what's, how can he be that smart? How can he be that wise? He's going to have that kind of character. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to advise. He's going to give purpose. He's going to give, give direction to his people. Throughout the, the millennium, people are going to need advice. They're going to go to Jesus, and he's going to give them the perfect counsel that they are going to need. Now, I want to stop here for a second and ask you, uh, is Jesus only going to be that point from the millennium on? I mean, is, is Jesus, could he be our counselor now? He is. He, he is if we're willing to, to let him. He gives us his word for direction to know what to do. He gives us... Um, if we pray, he's going to give us wisdom. Now, a lot of people don't like, uh, they don't like seeking other people's counsel. And I, I don't blame people. You know, if I, if I had a business and I, had, if I wanted to run it my own way, I possibly would without seeking your advice. Um, if, I, if I wanted to buy a car, I might not, but, um, which I definitely have to seek somebody's counsel because I don't know. But in general, there's some people who say, it's my way or the highway. I'm going to do this whether anybody else likes it or not. And when it comes to doing the things that God cares about, they might respond the same way. I'm going to um, 
raise my kids the way that I want to. I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to respond to my spouse uh, the way that I want to. I don't care what my, my God thinks. I'm going to deal with temptation however I want. I don't care if God has a way of doing that. But God is our, Jesus is our counselor. I know he sent the Holy Spirit who is helping us. There's counsel available. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of it. We're going to take advantage of it in the millennium. We can take advantage of it now. So make sure that when you have an issue in life, you don't know what to do, seek the counsel of God. Whether it's uh, raising your kids, whether it's um, managing your marriage, whether it's dealing with temptation, go to God for counsel. Go to God's people, people who have been there and done that. I know situations are going to come up, and I can go talk to someone who's had teens before. Noah's 13, and he's, he's a teen. You know, he's becoming more and more <laughs> like a teen. I remember being one, I've worked with kids in the youth group, but being a parent of one is not the same thing. I can come to you for counsel. But I want to tell you, if you go to somebody for counsel, if you go to God's word for counsel, and it's good godly counsel, Make sure that you follow that. Um, I have, I have, uh, there's a couple that I know that I've, that have, has come to me, foolishly or wisely, I don't know, has come to me for counsel because they were struggling in their marriage. And it was this back in, in Washington, so you don't have to look around and wonder who it is, but it's the same, <laughs> the same couple. They, they, they each called me separately on the phone and said, this is my problem. And so I talked to them about it and said, here's what you need to do. And at least twice. And then at least uh, multiple times, I talk to them together. This is what you need to do. And I'm not telling, this, listen, this is not extraordinary counsel. I almost guarantee that if you were in my shoes, you would have said the exact same thing. Uh, Leslie and I even went and talked to them about the worst time in my life to go and do this. We prayed before we got there. We prayed when we were there. We told them, this is what you need to do. Guess what they did with it? Nothing. Guess how good their marriage is right now? It's not, it's barely there. Because they, they, they kept asking for this counsel. I kept telling them the same thing, the same thing that I think most pastors, most people would say, this is what you need to do, but they wouldn't do it. And when it comes to God, it's easy to do the same thing. We want God's answers, but we don't want to do what God tells us that we need to do. So if you are asking for God's counsel, make sure that you follow God's counsel. You know, if you're looking for direction in your life, you know, if you're, the Bible's not going to tell you to go to this college or to buy these cows or to invest in this stock market account or anything like that. Uh, but the Bible will give, uh, it gives you hints on what else to do, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. He says, you got to trust me, Josh. You, you, you can talk to people, get godly counsel, but you got to trust me. you got to follow through with what I'm asking you to do. Uh, James 1.5 says, if you're lacking wisdom, you got to go to God and you got to ask for it. You keep reading it. It says, you got to believe and you got to not doubt. God will give you the wisdom that you need. Some people want peace in their life. They, they, got, they got heartaches and they got struggles and they just, I can't sleep at night because I'm consumed with whatever it is that I'm going through. Uh, we, we just recently got done with the book of Philippians. And it gives us counsel from God's word. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want peace in your life, 
This is the counsel God is giving. This is what you need to do. Some people say, you know what, I'm still looking for some other advice here. But that's what God says to do. If you seek God's counsel, make sure that you're following God's counsel. He is our, the wonderful counselor. And you know, if you think about whose counsel could be better than God? Because Jesus, he's omniscient. He knows everything that's happened in the past. He knows everything that's going on now. He knows everything that's going on in the future. He even knows what could potentially happen. If you would have took a left instead of a right, he knows where that would have led. He knows everything. He's the person to go to as our wonderful counselor. So this, that's the first thing. Jesus will be our wonderful counselor. The second, he will be our mighty God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And there's a lot of passages throughout Scripture that kind of prove the fact that Jesus is God. Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. When it talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there in the beginning creating the world. Uh, Matthew 1.23 says, Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Jesus come down in the flesh. He came to this earth to go through all the kind of experiences that we go through, uh, to, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, to ultimately get on the cross and die for our sins. He is our mighty God. And a lot of people will get to the point where they'll believe Jesus existed. You know, Ju Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. He writes about the life of Jesus. Anybody here like to Google? You Google the name of Jesus, you'll find he's written down in the Britannica Encyclopedia. People will admit that he's a historical figure, but they struggle to believe that he is the God who he says he is. But if you believe Jesus is God, and if I believe Jesus is God, then I should treat Jesus as God. I should treat that he is uh, who he says he is. I should treat his word not as a bunch of bedtime stories, not as a list of rules and regulations to have to follow, not as a list of uh, suggestions or, or witty sayings that I can look into and, and be curious about and just fill my brain with stuff. If Jesus is God, I need to take him as God, and I need to obey what he is calling me to do. He should be, we, we looked at uh, Ecclesiastes 12.13 the last couple of weeks. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Say, I'm not going to do what you don't want me to do. I'm going to do what you have asked me to do. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Follow what he's at, he's, the counsel that he gives you. He's the mighty God. Make sure that you're obeying whatever you read in his word, even if it's not something that you particularly like to do. We've got to make sure we treat Jesus as the God that he is and the God that he's going to be. Number three, we're going to start to look a little bit at the reign, uh, the character of the king's reign. It says that he is the everlasting father. Now, if you're familiar with the Trinity, you are the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus is not the father. The father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. And so you look at this, you say, how could Jesus be called the, uh, the, the everlasting father if he's the son? That's a good question. I, I looked at that and I started wondering, well, how could, how could you say that? It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not because they're all separate. I'll explain what that means here in just a second. But I want to give you a quote that kind of helps uh, the, the Trinity make a little bit more sense. Uh, it says that Jesus was one with the Father in nature, as in like 
my sons and I have the same human nature. We, we have the same simple human nature. Um, my kids are not going to turn into an animal. Their, their generations are not going to turn into God. We just have a human nature. Jesus has the same uh, nature as God does. They have the same nature. Uh, who, so, so Jesus is one of the, the Father nature while being distinct from him in per- person, meaning there are three separate people. The triune God has one ens- essence or one nature, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, uh, I, I felt like a good quote for, to try to describe the Trinity. They have the same nature, the same divine, heavenly, God nature, but there's three separate people. So Jesus is not the Father. It's not being referred to this in this case. Think about the Father in those days. It's a little bit different in our culture because women get out there and they do a lot of providing. But in, the, in that culture, the Father was the sole breadwinner. The Father was the protector. There's lots of stories in the Bible where there was a widow that was at a loss. She had, she had kids that either had to take care of her or she was destitute. She had absolutely nothing to her advantage. She couldn't go out and get a job. And you think about the father in that day. He did everything for that family. He provided. He protected. And that's kind of how it's referring to Jesus uh, during the millennium and that point on. He's going to be our sole provider. He's going to be our sole protector. He's going to be the one that we look to for counsel, the one we look to for wisdom as God, as, as our father, as we would our dad as we were a kid. We look to him to provide and take care of us in everything that we need. We will have no fear of hunger, no fear of danger, no fear of, of Jesus ever leading the family, of ever going away. He's going to be our heavenly father uh, or be ruling as our, as our eternal, everlasting father forever. So he's going to be a, uh, he's going to be our wonderful counselor. He's going to be our mighty God. He's going to be our everlasting father. He's going to be our prince of peace. And you think about what we read in uh, Isaiah 57 or, or 65, I think it was, about how it's going to be when Jesus is on earth. You're not going to have to worry about uh, a snake biting you. You're not going to have to worry about hunger. You're not going to have to worry about uh, natural disasters. You're not going to be worried about anything. There's going to be complete peace for that thousand years and from that point on because, because Jesus is ruling and reigning. So the, the peace that we're going to have is going to be eternal. It's going to be an everlasting peace. And we have that because of what Jesus did and because of the ruling that Jesus is going to do. But we also have peace with God because of what Jesus did. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified, we have been declared righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we were enemies of God before we, we trusted Jesus as our Savior. That's a terrible place to be, to be an enemy of God. But because Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins, for my sins, so that I could have eternal life, now I have a relationship with God. Now I have peace uh, that I did not have before. And so this Prince of Peace that Jesus is, it's for for the millennium and for history or eternity, but it's also the peace that I have that I have this relationship with them now. But it can also include the peace that passes understanding. Like we just read in Philippians 4, chapter 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God can give your life Whatever situation you are in right now, he can give you peace. If it's a medical condition, if it's a job-related decision, if it's people who are traveling down the road coming or going to and fro, God can give you that peace. 
Jesus will give you that peace because of who he is. He's the author of the peace. He gave us uh, the, the wisdom in the scripture. If we follow that, we can have a peace that passes understanding. So if you need the peace of God, he gave you his wisdom. He gave you exactly what to do. You know, Christmas is almost here. I, it's about 10 days away. Joyous times are ahead. Some of you are going to get extra days off. Some of you are going to be traveling. Some of you are going to have people coming to visit you. Uh, there's going to be snow. There's going to be Christmas songs. There's going to be cookies. It's going to be a wonderful time. But Christmas isn't the end. Christmas is just the beginning. Jesus came to this earth. He just started at what we call Christmas time while he lived on this earth. He went through everything that we went through uh, so that he could be he could be our faithful high priest so that he could help us through the things that we're struggling in life. But Christmas is not just the beginning. It's, I mean, it is just the beginning. Christmas is just the beginning. Don't look at it like it's the end. Don't look at it like, okay, I'm putting Jesus away for now, and I'll get him back out next year. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 gives us qualities of what God is like, of what Jesus is like. Jesus is exactly what he said he was going to be. It's just a matter if we're willing to accept that. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Forgive him or go to God for wisdom and direction in your life. Jesus is our mighty God. Live like he's the mighty God and make sure you're following whatever he's asking you to do. Jesus is our everlasting father. Look to him for wisdom. Look to him for direction in your life. Trust him to provide for you. Jesus is a prince of peace. Give God your worries and accept his peace that passes all understanding. Trust him to do it. He is all those things that he is described to be. Enjoy Jesus now at Christmas time. Enjoy Jesus when the Christmas season is all done and, and during out the summer. But enjoy Jesus forever with eternal life in him and all the peace and hope and comfort that he has to give us uh, from, from this point on. I just encourage you to look at Jesus not as a little baby in a manger, but look at him as the Savior who's going to be ruling and reigning over this earth for eternity and give him the chance to be what he's described to be in this passage. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for being the God that you are. God, you know that we don't always take you, uh, look at you for what you really are, God. We don't always look at you for your counsel. We don't always trust you to provide, God. We don't always treat you like the God that you are. Sometimes we take your, your words as just advice or as optional. God, I, and I'm sorry, I know sometimes I don't always do a good job with these things as well. God, I'm, I'm stubborn and want to do things my own way. God, I don't always want to trust you to take care of things your way. And I just pray, God, that you would help us this Christmas season to, to be excited about who you are because of uh, your birth and that meant that you were going to come be our Savior, but because you're going to do so much more, that you're going to rule and reign over all creation and for eternity. And I know that everything we do now makes uh, has an impact on life later. So help us, God, to remember that you are the God that you say that you are and to trust you to do what you said that you would do. Thank you, God, for this Christmas season. We thank you for the birth of Jesus that we get to remember uh, this Christmas season. May we be blessed as we do. In Jesus' name.